want to start by letting you know something that I think has seemed to be very true in my life and, and maybe in your life as well, that one of the best gifts that you can ever receive is good advice. Good advice. It's important, right? And there is several pieces of good advice out there. Uh, you know, Oscar Wilde once said, the only thing to do with good advice is to pass it on. It's never of any use to oneself. If you have good advice, why keep it to yourself? Pass on good advice. And uh, if I were to ask you this morning what the best piece of advice you've ever gotten is, you would probably have several things that you could mention. You know, there's, there's a lot of good things out there, like take the time to get to know yourself. Take the time to get to know yourself. Self-reflection, thinking about your life, thinking about even uh, your spiritual walk with God. Get to know yourself. Another good piece of advice is don't make judgments. You know, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, how many books do we read the back and say, I don't want to read this, and then we miss out on a masterpiece? Yeah, it happens. Also, though, we don't make judgments about people. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know the uh, things that are happening in their life. It's sometimes we struggle with that, right? Making judgments about people that we don't really understand what's going on. Uh, be patient and persistent. This is a difficult one for me. I am not a patient person. It takes a lot for me to be patient. I have to be patient trying to be patient. It's just, uh, but patience and persistence. Keep going, keep working, keep uh, you know, when things are going or tough, keep pushing, keep going. Uh, don't be afraid of being afraid. Don't be afraid of being afraid. So many times we don't want to do something because we are afraid, afraid of failure, afraid of what people may say or think or do. But we don't need to be afraid of failure because sometimes the best le lessons we learn come through failure. Right? Sometimes we have to fail to learn and to grow. And so don't be afraid of being afraid. So there's several pieces of good advice out there, but there's also bad advice. There's several things of bad advice out there. And an article for BoardPanda.com, they uh, collected a bunch of tweets of some of the worst advice that people uh, have been given. And some of these are, first of all, you think, how did you fall for this? But these are, these are pieces of bad advice. For example, one man shared a story about how when he was growing up, they were at a mall, and he went onto a broken elevator, and instead of the dad telling this kid that the elevator was broken, instead he told him that it was voice activated. And so he spent 10 minutes yelling up before he realized that the elevator did not work. You know, if you have siblings, you probably would have tried something like that. And speaking of that, here's one one woman uh, once told her younger brother that when it comes to eating bananas, you are to always eat the peel and throw away the middle. You don't keep the middle; you throw it away. The peel is where you are. Is where is that? That's what you are supposed to eat. Uh, he did this for two weeks before he realized that this is not the case. Um, here's one. Uh, if you give directions, you might find this one pretty funny. One woman gave a uh, guy who asked her for directions one time, 
she gave directions for a few minutes, sent him off, and 30 minutes realized that she was thinking of a different place. <laughs> thinking of a different place. Uh, here's one that I know uh, me and my brother would have told each other growing up. Uh, this guy tells a story about when him and his brother were kids, uh, his brother got really dizzy from spinning around, and so he told him that if he spins around the other way really fast, then that would cancel it out. So, yeah, and I'm sure he didn't like that when he was finished. And then this one was my favorite one, and I just had to read this tweet exactly. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, he'll do something from time to time where he'll ask people to send in things, and, well, one, he asked people to send in bad advice, and this lady shared this piece of advice that I just have to read exactly what she said. This came from her dad. On the first day of school, go into the lunchroom and just punch the biggest kid. Nobody will mess with you then. Then she says this, I am a teacher. So for those of you who work in education, uh, you probably shouldn't punch your students. Just telling you, okay? Uh, just letting you know that it probably will not turn out well. So there are good pieces of advice, and then there are bad pieces of advice. Well, the reason we share those pieces of advice this morning is because we are in Acts chapter 20, and we are going to get some advice from one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. And so we will be in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And you may be thinking, why are we going to skip the beginning of Acts chapter 20? You see, it's, it's not that there's not anything good in Acts chapter 20. In the beginning of Acts chapter 20, we see that Paul is traveling and he's sharing the gospel in different places. And, and he's encouraging believers, doing some good things. And then, matter of fact, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture come in, or comes in Acts chapter 20. One day, Paul is in Troas, and he's preaching, and he knows that, guess what, I'm not going to stay in Troas very long. As a matter of fact, I'm leaving tomorrow, so I'm going to make sure I preach as much as I can before I have to leave. Well, we see that he ends up talking until midnight. And you, if you ever think, man, preachers can be long-winded, till midnight this man was preaching, okay? So he's preaching, and there's a young man there named Eutychus. And he starts to sink into a deep sleep, and I like how Luke talks about this. It says, as Paul talked on and on, even Luke is like, man, this guy just will not stop talking on and on and on. Well, this man falls asleep. And he falls from a third-story window to the ground and dies. He dies. Falls asleep. This is why you should never fall asleep when somebody's preaching, by the way, just letting you know. He, uh, he falls to the ground dead. Well, Paul runs out there. He throws himself on the young man, puts his arm around him, and says, Don't be alarmed. He's alive. He's alive. And so what does Paul do? He goes back upstairs broke bread with them, ate, and then he talked until daylight, and then he left. 
That wasn't going to... Somebody dying was not going to stop this man from preaching. This man dies. He, he's alive again. And so he's like, guess what? I'm going to go back and finish what I started. I'm not going to stop preaching. And you see, there's a, there's a valuable thing here to remember because I want you all to think about the story of Eutychus because just know that deep down inside, Eutychus too, if you fell out of a window. There you go. Remember that next time. You, if you ever need to remember the story of Eutychus, Eutychus too, if you fell out of a window. There you go. And so that really, that leads us to where we are this morning. And the reason we're going to focus on verse 17 and ladders is because I think in this section, we get to see a different side of Paul. And a lot of times when we read about Paul in the book of Acts, we see Paul the defender. Paul the defender of the faith. Paul the, the person who's defending why he believes. Then we see Paul the evangelist who preaches to Jews and Greeks alike. But in this, we see Paul the pastor. We see Paul the pastor talking to a group of believers, and it's a really somber moment we see here between Paul and the elders from Ephesus. We see that Paul is wanting to travel. He's wanting to get to Jerusalem. That is his goal. He's wanting to get to Jerusalem, and he's wanting to get to Jerusalem as fast as possible because he wants to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost. And he knows that if he goes to Ephesus, one, it's a, a hot zone because of the things that has taken place with him in the previous experience in Ephesus. But he also knows he would want to stay and continue to minister and, and spend time with these people that he's grown to love. And so he realizes, I can't go and spend time if I want to make it to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. And so what he does is he's, he's in Miltus at this point in verse 17, and he's going to send for the elders to come and meet him so that he can have this final you know, message for them, this final conversation with these elders from Ephesus. And it's really interesting because in this section we see kind of the past, present, and the future. We see Paul's past, the example that he has laid out for them. We see his present, what his goal is, where he's moving to next. But then he spends some time talking to them about the future, warning them about what is to come and encouraging them. And one of the best pieces of advice I've received in my lifetime is this. Follow the example of those who came before you, whether good or bad. Learn from those and follow those who have done good. Learn from the example of those who have made mistakes. Follow the examples of those who have come before you. And this morning, I feel like we can do two things this morning, looking at Acts 20. One, we can learn from the example of Paul, and we can learn from the message that he proclaims to the elders. And so uh, that's where we're going to start this morning in verse 17, by looking at Paul's example so in verse 17, it says, From Miltus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And so we see here right away the first thing we can learn from Paul, the first example that he can give to us is this, is Paul was a servant. Paul was a servant. Paul served. Paul served. Matter of fact, he says this about himself in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. 
In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so Paul considered himself to be a servant of Christ. And he says a couple of ways here in which he served. The first thing he said is that he served He served with great humility. He served with great humility. Everything that Paul did was out of humility. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul. He never you know, took credit for any of the things that God was doing in the life of the people. He gave glory to God. He never took credit for the miracles that were taking place. He gave credit to God. He knew that anything that he did had nothing to do with him. It was all about God. Everything was done for God's glory. Paul served with humility. It wasn't, look at me. It wasn't, you know, hey, I'm the greatest. Look at all the things I'm doing. No, he was a humble man. He served with humility. The second example he gives to us, he says that he served with tears. He served with tears. You know, this is pretty amazing that Paul shares this. He cared so greatly about the people that he 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 served them with tears. He served them with tears. Their heartaches were his heartaches. Their pains were was was his his pains. Everything that the people were going through, he was part of that. He he took his service to them so greatly that when they were struggling, he was struggling and he served with tears. He was moved to tears in the way that he loved the people. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he writes these words, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. It says something to the people that you serve, is that when you serve them, you, you share tears with them because of the things that they are going through. You know, the old saying is this, nobody know, or cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You can tell them over and over and over again all of these things, but until they know how much you care about them, it doesn't matter. And Paul lived this out. He shed tears for them. Their heartache, their pain, all of that was the same for Paul because he loved them greatly. What else did he do to show that he served? Well, he also served in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. He served even when the Jews were plotting against him, even when they were going against him, even though they were being obstinate. He continued to serve. He continued to serve. He continued to go to the synagogue from place to place to place, even though the Jews didn't want to hear what he had to say. And when they wouldn't listen to him in the synagogue, what did he do? He went to a house or he went to some other place and he continued to share the gospel. No matter what the opposition, he continued to serve. And so the question we must ask ourselves this morning is this. Do we strive to serve in the same way? When we help those around us, why do we do that? When we serve those around us, why do we serve? Do we serve because we want recognition? Do we serve because we want people to say, look at what, or look at what I did? When we serve people, do we do it expecting something in return? Do we only help those in need knowing that we're going to get something back? Do we serve with humility? Do we serve some, or do we love the people that we serve so much that we share tears with the people we serve? 
Are their heartbreaks our heartbreaks? Are their pain our pain? When we're serving the people that we are serving, do we love them so much that when they're going through a difficult time, we feel for them, we show empathy because we care so deeply? Do you love people so deeply that you are moved to tears? And lastly, do you serve no matter the situation, good or bad, happy or sad, no matter what you are going through, do you serve, regardless of the situation? Because you see, it's really easy to serve God when everything is going well. When, you're going, or when your life is good, when you're happy, when you're in the Word and things are going great, it's really easy to serve. But do you serve when your life is not going so well? When you're struggling, when you're going through difficulty, do you still serve God? Are we serving God no matter what? No matter what people say or do against you, do you continue to serve? Even when people don't want to hear what you have to say, do you continue to serve no matter the situation? He continues here in verse 20. He says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you that have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this next example that we can take from Paul, and that is this. Paul preached. Paul preached. He was not afraid to share the gospel. He was not afraid to preach no matter what the situation. We've already discussed the fact that Paul loved to preach so much that he killed a man, right? Like, he, he made a man fall asleep because he preached so long he fell out of a window. That is preaching. He preached. He loved to preach. He made sure he preached. He said he went from synagogue to synagogue, home to home, sharing what was necessary, what was useful for the people, the things they needed to know to grow, the things they needed to do to live a godly life. He preached those things to the believers, but more so, he also went and he preached to the Jews and the Greeks alike. And we don't have to wonder what he preached to the Jews and the Greeks because he tells us what he preached to the Jews and to the Greeks. He said that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to God and repent and have faith in Jesus. That's the message that he proclaimed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 8, Paul writes these words, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. You see, Paul's message was the same everywhere he went. You need to turn to God, you need to repent, and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And why do you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ? Because he died and he rose again three days later for the forgiveness of our sins. That is the message. And you see, this is the message that we must proclaim today. 
We must proclaim this message that we must repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ because there is no other name in heaven or on earth in which people can be saved. There is only one name under heaven and earth that can be or that people can be saved by, and that is of Jesus Christ. And so that is an ex- example to us. We must preach the gospel. And you see, you don't have to stand up here and preach, by the way. You don't have to be on a staff at a church to preach the gospel, by the way. No, you can do that wherever you're at. You can do that in your homes. You can do that in your jobs. You can do that at your school. It doesn't matter. You can proclaim the gospel. You don't have to stand in front of everybody to do it. You can do it wherever you're at, and that is what we are called to do. Because Paul set that example to us. And then he continues with his next example. He says in verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The next example that we take from Paul is this. Paul sacrificed. We see here that Paul is willing to sacrifice. He knows that he is on his way to Jerusalem, and not only does he know he's on his way to Jerusalem, he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to face opposition, he's going to face hardship, he is going to face time in prison. He already knows what is going to take place. The Holy Spirit has already informed him of what is waiting for him when he gets to Jerusalem. But look at what he says. I consider my life worth nothing to me. It doesn't matter what opposition is waiting. It doesn't matter what hardship is waiting. It doesn't matter what is waiting for me in Jerusalem because my life is not my own. My life is worth nothing to me. The only thing that matters is finishing the task that has been given to me, the task of making Jesus Christ known. That is my priority. And you see, this just seemed to be Paul's attitude. In Philippians 3.8 He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And you see, Paul could have easily been like, no, forget it, man, I'm out. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Everywhere I go, it's followed by, you know, opposition. It's followed by hardship. It's followed by struggles. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'm out. I'm not going to Jerusalem. But no, that's not Paul's attitude. Paul's is an attitude of sacrifice. If I lose my life, I lose my life because I know that what is waiting for me is greater than what I have here. But until that day, I'm going to sacrifice everything to make sure the gospel is proclaimed. And this is a great example to us because we need to ask ourselves the question, how much are you willing to sacrifice? This morning, how much are you willing to sacrifice for the spread of the gospel? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice your comforts? Man, I I like where I'm at. It's just kind of life is good right now. It's easy. I don't need to... I'm, I'm in a comfort zone right now. I'm good. Are you willing to sacrifice your time? 
well, I'm really busy most of the day, and in the evening I like to just kind of relax and not have to worry about things, so eh, maybe later. Maybe when things die down a little bit, or I don't have to do this, then I'll sacrifice my time. Are you willing to sacrifice your money for the spread of the gospel? There's organizations all over the world that you could give to to help the spread of the gospel, but do you already have that earmark for something that you really, really want? Are we willing to sacrifice for the spread of the gospel? Think about this. We live just a few minutes away, right down the road, from an organization that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people who have lost their life for the sake of the gospel. We've volunteered at Voice of the Martyrs. You've probably read some of their stuff. You've probably, maybe you've been there before. And they're all about telling the story of people who have been willing to sacrifice their life for the gospel, sacrifice their families, their futures, all that for the sake of knowing Jesus, for people knowing Jesus. Are you willing to sacrifice this morning? What are you willing to sacrifice this morning? And so these are ways that Paul is an example to us. He, he served, he, he preached, he sacrificed, but now he's going to continue with his message to the elders. He wants them to, to take some, some final advice from him. And it's really kind of somber in how he starts this. In verse 25, he says this, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to drive away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And so Paul here starts with this really somber you know, beginning. Hey, guys. You're never going to see me again. After this moment, for three years, I poured into you. For three years, I loved you. I ministered to you. For three years, I have done life with you. And after this moment, after this time we are in right now, I will never see you again. And so here is why I preached to you. Because now your blood is no longer on my hands. I have told you the whole will of God. And now it's up to you. You either can take it and live by it, and and that's great if you do. But guess what? If you choose not to, if you choose to ignore it, then whatever happens to you on Judgment Day is on you. It's on you. You see, it's like the messenger at the gate who goes and warns the people that the enemy is coming. And if they choose not to do anything, if they choose not to leave, if they choose not to protect themselves, if they choose to just ignore it, when they come in and take these people down, it's not on the messenger. It's now on the people who choose not to listen. And Paul tells them, guess what? The message has been proclaimed to you, and now whatever happens is in your hands. But he's still going to leave some encouragement to them, still leave some warning 
to them. And the first thing he tells them here is keep watch. Keep watch. He tells them to keep watch. And the first way he tells them to keep watch is to keep watch over themselves. Now, remember who he's talking to here. He's not talking to everybody. He's talking to the elders. He's talking to the leaders of the church. And so while Paul's message may be directed to the leaders of the church, I think we can learn a lot from this message and apply it to our lives, whether you are in a leadership position or you are not. There is still stuff to be learned from what he tells the leaders here. And so the first thing he tells the leaders to do is keep watch over themselves. And this makes sense because if you are a leader, you're job your position is to protect the people who are entrusted to you and if you can't keep watch over yourself then how are you going to keep watch of the people you've been tasked with protecting if you are not living a godly lifestyle how can you proclaim to people the need to live a godly lifestyle if you are not doing what is right in the eyes of god how can you tell people to do what is right in the eyes of god and so he tells the leaders you must first keep watch over yourself And I will be completely honest with you this morning. I am so appreciative of the leadership that we have in this church and the eldership that we have in this church because I know our elders in this church love God. And they think about God often and they they study God often and they want to grow, grow closer to God often. We've had conversations many a times me, Cody, the elders. What would you do in this situation? How would you handle this situation? Just trying to grow and learn because they know that in order to protect what has been entrusted to them, they must first keep watch over themselves. And whether or not this morning you are in a position of leadership or not, the first thing that you need to do is keep watch over yourself. Because how can you keep watch over your family, your friends, the people around you if you do not keep watch over yourself? And scripture has a lot to say about this actually. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5, It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Trust yourselves, or test yourselves. Do not, or do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. Examine yourselves every single day. Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Every day you should be checking your heart to make sure your heart is in the right place. Because from out of your heart, everything flows from it. And then this one, this is a a stern warning we get from Paul here in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. When you think that life is great and you're standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall. Every day we should be checking ourselves, keeping watch over ourselves to make sure that everything we are doing is according to God's word and is, is what God calls us to do, calls us to live. We must keep watch over ourselves. The second thing he tells them to do is keep watch over the flock. Keep watch over the flock. And Paul uses this idea of the church being the flock. This is something we see in Scripture. God's people are the flock. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. This is a familiar illustration to the people. And he tells them to be overseers of the flock. Overseers or elders. And a matter of fact, the word overseers is where we get the word bishop. And the bishop, elder, they're actually 
interchangeable words for the same office, but we are called to be overseers as leaders to watch over the flock. And why is this a thing? Why do these leaders need to watch over the flock? Well, he says it's because savage wolves will come in and will not spare the flock. What he's referring to here is false teachers who will lead people away and destroy the church by getting them to believe in false doctrines. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it tells us this, Be alert of sober mind, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And one of the ways he does this is puts false teachings in front of us. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So these savage wolves are going to come from the outside with false teachings, with false doctrine, and try to destroy the church. But guess what? This is not only going to be a problem that comes from the outside, but also from the inside. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. This is a reminder of 1 John 2, 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. They might have been in the church, but they were not of the church. They were there with false motives and false teachings and all sorts of things. And so here is the lesson for us this morning. We need to pay attention to who we listen to. Pay attention to who we listen to. Because, one, this is why we need to be in the gospel every single day, in God's word every single day. How can we know it is real or false if we're not in God's word? But who are we choosing to listen to every day? Are we listening to things that will lead us astray? Are we listening to those who only tell us what we want to hear? Are we listening to those who give only opinion with lack of scripture? We need to pay attention who we listen to, and we need to keep watch, both on ourselves and the people around us. And so Paul here, he's going to continue his message. He says, Now I commit to you, or I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the next piece of advice he gives them, the next part of the message that he gives them, is that they need to be committed to God and the word of his grace. They need to be committed to God and the word of his grace. And the same thing is true of us today. We must be committed to God and the word of his grace. At his core here, Paul is telling the people that they need to be doing two things. One, they need to be praying, and two, they need to be reading God's word every single day. And the same thing is true for us. We need to be, one, praying every day, and two, in God's word 
every single day. And here's the thing. These aren't interchangeable. These aren't interchangeable. These aren't, okay, one day I'll pray. The next day I'll read God's word. The next day I'll pray. If I don't pray today, as long as I read scripture, I'm okay. As long as I do this today and I don't do this, I'm still okay. No, these things go hand in hand. Prayer and time in God's word every single day, hand in hand. That should be what we are doing. Because if we fail to do these things in tandem, together, we will fall flat. Each of these things are important for our day-to-day life. Ephesians 6.18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people every single day. No matter your prayers, your requests, every single day, we must continue to pray. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it's no wonder that Paul mentions this after he talks about being on guard because if you're not in prayer and if you're not in God's word, then how can you stand against people who teach false doctrines? You can't unless you know the word. And so they need to be committed to God and to the word of his grace. The next part of the message that he tells him here, he continues on though. In verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's silver, or gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Paul reminds them he worked constantly. It wasn't just Paul walking around preaching all day, every day. No, Paul had to work. Paul had to do something to raise money to continue his ministry. He was a tent maker. He made sure every day he was doing the job that he needed to do to make money to further his ministry. And so he worked And he didn't look at what other people had and and covet those things. He worked every day and, and supplied his needs. And he realized that through this, he learned from this, hey, we must help the weak. We must give to those who are in need, who can't do these things, who don't have an opportunity these things. We need to help those who are struggling. And he mentions here words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than, to, it is, than it is to receive. What's interesting about these words is these words are never actually in the Gospels. Jesus never says these words in the Gospels. We see things that we're supposed to help those who are in need, to help those who are weak, but these words themselves are not in the gospel. So it's likely here these words that Paul are saying from Jesus are words that were not recorded in Scripture but were said and orally passed down. We do know at the end of John, there are many things that were said that weren't written down. Or if you could read everything that was written down, these things were not in the gospel. And so he passes these words, though, still, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so here's something that we need to do today just the same. Are we helping those who are weak? Are we helping those who are in need Psalm 82, 3 and 4 tell us, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. 
1 Thessalonians 5.14 tells us, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. You see, we must make it a priority to help those who are weak. And notice, this isn't just financial. When we think of helping people, we often jump to financially helping people. But there's more to helping people than just giving them money. We can help with our time. We can help with just praying for people. We can spend time uh, talking with people, being accountable with people. These are different ways that you can help those who are weak. It's not just about money. There's other ways that we can help those who are in need by lending an ear, spending time just being with people, helping them through their needs. It's not just about money, but are we making a priority to help the weak? And then he finishes up Acts chapter 20 with these words. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was a statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And I love this, this idea of a church sending somebody off. They prayed with him. They loved on him. They cried with one another. And then they took him to his ship. And when it says they walked with him to his ship, when they accompanied him to the ship, it probably wasn't just a they walked with him and then saved, or said goodbye and waved. No, they probably brought with them things that he would need to continue his voyage, things that he would need to help get by. They gave him uh, not just uh, financial gifts, but other gifts that were needed to continue this trip. And this is such a beautiful ending to Acts chapter 20, and it's such a, a beautiful passage of Scripture, verses 17 to the end, because, like I said, we see Paul as a pastor, and we see Paul giving these people one final piece of advice, one final piece of information that they need to use, and his example for them to follow. And here's what is so sad about this. It's not about the fact that this is the last time they would see him, because I believe these believers would see Paul again someday. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is sending out these letters to these churches. And he's, he's calling out some of the things they're doing well, and they're calling out some of the things that they're not doing so well. And of course, the first church to get a letter in Revelation chapter 2 is the church at Ephesus. And listen to what is said to the church at Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So on the surface, when you read that, it seems like Paul has done everything, or these elders have done everything that Paul told them to do, right? They're, they're doing good deeds, they're, doing, uh, they're persevering, they're working hard, they are calling out people who are false teachers, they are calling out people who pretend to be apostles but are not, they are enduring hardship, they are following the example of Paul, they're doing the things that Paul has told them to do, they've got it right, but here's the problem, yet I hold this against you, You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I shall give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. You see, the church at Ephesus was doing everything right. Everything that Paul had told them to do. Follow my example. Do these things. Be warned about these things that are to come. And they were doing all of these things. They were persevering. They were working hard. They were preaching the gospel. They were proclaiming the message. They were doing everything that they were told to do. But here was the one problem. They forgot why they were doing it. They forgot why they were doing it. They had been in such a a focus of of doing all these right things that they forgot about the reason they were doing that, and it was for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was because they loved Jesus Christ. That was the thing that should have been propelling them, moving them, making them do these things, was the fact that they loved Jesus so much that they couldn't help but do these things, and yet they were going through all of these things, forgetting the one they loved, forgetting who they served. And if there was one example of Paul and all of this that we should follow is that our life are not our own and everything we do is for the glory of Jesus Christ. And if everything in our life is not centered on him, if our church is not centered on him, if our lives are not centered on him, if we're doing all these things and our life is not centered on him, then none of these things matter. None of these things matter if we have forgotten the reason why we do them. It is for the glory of Jesus Christ. It is for his name. It is because our love for him that drives us and pushes us and motivates us to tell people what God has done. We need to make sure that we never lose our first love. And I got to be honest, this sermon this week, as I, I spent a lot of time studying and a lot of time writing things down, it was emotional for me. Because I've been, I've been listening to podcasts, I've been reading stories of so many churches and so many pastors who have fallen away from their faith. So many stories of pastors who have committed suicide. So many pastors who have left the church and, and have done crazy things. That all this time their churches were growing, they were prospering, people were coming in and out of the door. But the whole time they were forgetting why they were doing it in the first place. They were forgetting the one that they loved. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. And maybe this morning, maybe you need to follow the example of Paul. Maybe you've not been serving. Maybe you've not been telling people the good news. Maybe you've not been sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. And maybe this morning you need to start doing those things. And maybe you need to spend time with God and and see how can I do these things. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been doing these things, but you've forgotten the reason why you were doing them in the first place. And maybe you need to spend time just in prayer with God, talking with God, working those things out. And if you need to pray, you can do so where you're sitting. You can come up here. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe this morning we're struggling in our personal lives. Maybe we haven't been keeping watch and maybe we've been letting things take us away from God and maybe this morning we've let things push us away and we need to come back. Or maybe this morning we were never there to begin with. Maybe this morning we were never 
close with God to begin with, and maybe this morning you have a decision to make. There's connect cards around you. You can uh, put your decision on there, and we'd love to talk with you. This morning, we have Paul's example that we can live, that we can carry out. Are we willing to serve? Are we willing to preach? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we keeping watch over our lives and the people around us? Are we listening, or who are we listening to? Are we committing daily to being in God's word and prayer? And are we making it a priority to help those who are weak? This morning, maybe you need to do those things. Maybe you have a decision to make. Whatever you're feeling, whether you need to pray or you have a decision, pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.